You're listening to Don't Waste Water. If we reduce our carbon footprint alone, great, nice, good for xylem. But really, it's about the entire sector coming together. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. There's a lot of very simple changes that we can make in our operations, either at utilities or at industrial uses of water. They can have pretty profound impact. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm glad to welcome Austin Alexander as my guest. We need to really get greenhouse gas emissions under control, really addressing climate change pretty aggressively, or those other challenges are going to become nearly insurmountable challenges. Austin is Vice President Sustainability and Social Impact at Xylem. If you want to be a preferred supplier to Xylem, you know, top list of who we go to, we're going to want you to have this. A leading water technology company with the famous solving water motto. What if solving water actually involved solving carbon and leading the race to net zero? As Austin will explain in a minute, Xylem believes that if we don't tackle carbon in the water sector, it will make all our other challenges much more complex and tricky. Great! But if solving carbon wasn't complex and tricky itself, we would have done it for a while, right? Well, by COP26 last year, Xylem published a white paper looking at ways to reduce our greenhouse gas impacts in the wastewater sector. And it turns out, as they demonstrate, that a 50% reduction could be easily achieved with today's technologies and in 95% of the cases at no additional cost or even negative cost. So what are we waiting? Actually, Xylem isn't waiting at all. And they're currently rolling out their 2025 strategy to reduce their CO2 handprint by over 2.8 million metric tons. What's a handprint? How do they achieve that? Where do they stand? What can we all steal and apply as a sector? How does it impact the entire value chain? Don't worry, Austin will answer all of that and more in a minute. If you're intrigued by the topic of carbon in the water sector and want to join the race to zero, make sure to follow my various stops this week on that road. We'll have five future interviews on that podcast and I'll have the same five speakers on stage with me for the Global Water Summit in Madrid. If you want a complete overview, head over to dww.show carbon. And of course, if you don't want to miss any of these interviews, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's free. And it's even better if you share it with your friends or colleagues. I'll let you share it and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Austin. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I have a tradition on that microphone, as I warned you a little bit, which is to open with a postcard. And I'm asking you to send me a postcard from the place you're at, which you said is not really a city. But I googled it and it exists. And that is Big Timber, Montana. So what can you tell about that place that I would ignore by? So Big Timber is in Montana in the United States. It's a very rural, ranching, agricultural community. And I grew up here. I grew up in pretty small town America, very outdoors focused, you know, beautiful mountains and landscape around us. Grew up here, went, graduated high school and then, you know, left 
to go to college, start working, lived on the East Coast for a while. And during the pandemic, I was living in New York and had the opportunity to actually move out to Montana. And now I work remote from my hometown. My fiance is here with me and I love it. I get kind of the best of both worlds from the mountains and the outdoors and still get to work for a large company like Xylem. To go fully remote in a position like yours is quite of a bold move for a company like Xylem. I think part of it that has worked so well, I mean, for one, you know, the how much we've adopted with technology and Zoom meetings, you know, live on Zoom now. The What I think is probably the coolest part of my role is it's very global. I get to work with teams in Singapore and India and Europe, and the U.S., And so where I sit matters a whole lot less than we're, act, you know, we're coordinated and we're acting as one team. So it makes that pretty easy. <laughs> you, you mentioned the, the nature, the connection to the outdoor and all of that. And I researched you a bit before having that discussion. And I thought that you were uh, sharing a picture that you took in 2009, where you were, I guess, at university at the time, and you were involved in an H2 for Life fundraising project. And I was wondering, so... That means your involvement with water started quite early. What was your initial trigger? Yeah, that was even early. That was high school. So I was probably 16 or 17 years old. And we had this opportunity to raise funds. I had met this organization, H2O for Life. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I really didn't know a lot about global water challenges at that time. That opportunity really opened my eyes to not only, you know, the environmental aspects, which I was probably more familiar Being somebody that loves to be outdoors, near the water, you see that environmental impacts of taking care of our water. But then, you know, you think of the economic and social impacts, particularly for those communities that are developing or underserved that do not have. In this case, it was a school in Uganda. Didn't have toilets, didn't have running water, and how much that impacted their daily life. And so it really kind of opened the door for me to really get into this, into water and wastewater and love where, <laughs> that journey it's been able to take me on. So if I fast forward now to 2022, you're Vice President Sustainability and Social Impact at Xylem, which is an interesting title. But if I ask you to break it down so that my seven-year-old daughter gets it, what would be your <laughs> definition of what you do today? That's a good analogy. You know, I think I say, I help Xylem consider the way we take care of the planet and we take care of the people around us, the communities we live in. So we're, we're not only creating, you know, economic value, making money by doing business and doing that really well and, and operating really efficiently. But as we do that, let's make sure we're also taking care of the environment, taking care of the planet, doing what we say we're going to do around providing people clean water and sanitation. So yeah, I'd say layman's terms, maybe take care of the planet, take care of people. <laughs> and in that realm of, of social impact and sustainability, carbon is only one of those aspects. I guess it's going to be our deep dive for today, but I'm just wondering how much does it weight in your priorities compared to other topics like like mm. social justice? I mean, it's pretty bold in your sustainability report, all the, the aspects of it. I, I would they're equally important. If I talk about water stewardship and resiliency, the way we're adapting to climate change or taking care of the water sources that we have, or when we're talking about issues of equity, providing those that do not have access today with access to clean water or sanitation. 
those issues are very big challenges and are very important. But I think what we're coming to realize is that if we don't address mitigating climate change, those issues are going to become even more exasperated. And so I think it's more of a, we need to really get greenhouse gas emissions under control, really addressing climate change pretty aggressively, or those other challenges, achieving SDG 6, or building really sound watersheds, or operating really, you know, in a resilient way to changes in climate change, are going to become nearly insurmountable challenges. Regarding that, that carbon aspect of things, Xylem has set some ambitious targets. If I'm right, by 2025, you want to be reducing your CO2 footprint by 2.8 million metric tons. From what I've seen, you, you're really on track of achieving that because in 2020 alone, you've reduced your carbon impact by as much as removing 150,000 cars from the road. What I'm wondering is that you mentioned carbon being like, like the mother of all concerns and hence you're targeting that. But why did you come with those targets and what did you put in place to achieve those first results? That goal in particular, the 2.8 million metric tons of CO2 footprint is specifically related to how much we reduce our customers' footprint. So we're measuring our products impact in our customer's facility. And we have about 50% of our revenue is the utility sector, water, wastewater utility, about a third industrial users of water. And so it was kind of a revolutionary change for us. You know, we still measure our own footprint, our own operational metric, our factory supply chain and all of that. But we really said, okay, but how can we measure the positive impact of our products? and hold ourselves accountable to saying what we do sell, we're going to sell that uh, into the market and really help our customers. Because if we reduce our carbon footprint alone, great, nice, good for xylem, but really it's about the entire sector coming together. And so what role we can play with providing equipment to move or treat water in a much more efficient way is really important to us. So that was kind of the first step for us in getting into this, what's our impact on the sector? How can we really, you know, bring our customers into this and really everyone who touches water into uh, carbon reduction? If I go back to the definitions, Global Water Intelligence was preparing for the Global Water Summit and they define footprint and handprint. So what you're saying here is that would be the handprint. So footprint exactly. is xylem itself. If I take an example, let's take a, a flight pump. So when you're building a flight pump, it has a certain footprint but whenever your customers use that flight pump within their network then it has a handprint and what you want to exactly. do is you want to reduce the handprint of your customers that was absolutely perfect we have to do both if we're going to address climate change you have to do it you have to address both things your footprint and in our case as a supplier of equipment we have to think about our handprint otherwise we're not nearly doing justice um, to our own you know greenhouse gas commitments and how do you measure your handprint? We work with an institute, the Shine Institute out of Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. And we work with a few team members there to really help us make sure the way we're calculating, the methodology we're using is really credible. And so we work with them pretty closely and we've been slowly adding products to what we can. We started very small, only Xylem has a whole bunch of different products. So started with a very small handful of products. We started to measure that. And then we continued to add and add. 
And each is a little bit different in the way that you measure. For example, I'll give a couple of examples that will probably paint a picture. You know, with our pumping equipment, use the example of a flight pump, when we use more efficient motors, when we use digital solutions that reduce the amount of runtime, calculating that savings. But we also include things like our census metrology meters. Those are the water meters on our house or on industrial uses of water. Well, when you install, a lot of places still have drive-by water readers. A utility person gets in their pickup truck, drives around the town and reads the meters. That's a lot of driving when you're doing that for an entire city. And so things like simply applying a advanced metrology infrastructure, or AMI technology, where it's reading real time, you don't need that truck. So we account for that savings as well of, hey, that's quite a bit of emissions that a utility is saving on, let alone cost and you know all the other things that's not having a pickup driving around town all day. It's a very interesting down-to-earth aspect of it because when I read your, your papers, I was seeing digitalization. I thought, yeah, of course, you go on the network and you measure stuff and you modelize and everything. But that is probably even much more of an impact to say you take the trucks off the road because simply step one, you have something which can be measured online. It sounds like a dead angle which you're addressing. I mean, I think what we really tried to get across in that paper and a lot of technology exists. When we're talking about making fairly big, you know, greenhouse gas productions, it's not like you need to buy the this really cutting edge technology, although we will continue to develop that and we'll still be part of the story. There's a lot of very simple changes that we can make in our operations, either at utilities or at industrial uses of water, they can have pretty profound impacts. Not having to drive by and read all meters has a pretty profound impact over time. You're hinting at that white paper you, you published. And actually, when I read that, that white paper, I was kind of shocked, to be honest, to see that you're estimating that you can divide by two the energy-related emissions of wastewater as a sector, and this with existing technologies, and you're saying, if I'm right, by 95% of the cases, that would be at no additional cost and probably even at, at lower cost. So if that figure is right, why are we so slow in moving? It sounds mm -hmm. like a no-brainer. You know, I think that goes much bigger than the water sector alone. Is <laughs> You know, why are we slow to move on greenhouse gases as a whole? Organizations like Xylem, we're taking our responsibility of saying, we haven't done probably as good a job as communicating, hey, user of our equipment, there's not only these typical specification items that you need to be concerned about, quality and you know meeting your operational specs, those kind of things, but we really need to get better at communicating the sustainability impacts as well. This energy savings isn't just a cost savings, but it also has greenhouse gas impacts. And I would say, you know, we're really starting to get better at that. But we, we have room to grow of telling that full picture of, of how simple changes to equipment or digital overlay solutions can have on that day-to-day -day operations, the cost savings. When you're in the day-to-day -day business of just getting clean water into people's homes, there's a lot that they're dealing with to just keep things running. And so really being able to effectively tell that 10, 20-year story of our equipment in the context of 
and this gets your job done today is something that will always be continuing to balance. That means you're, you're kind of breaking kind of a halo effect where they might be focused on the day-to-day -day and hence you, you miss a bit the, this longer term and you see that as the duty of a company like Xylem to bring that communication element and that educational stuff and to say to people, look, um, there's a low-hanging fruit. But how do they react to that? I'll be honest, a lot more positive and broader than I even anticipated. We have, you know, utilities, I'll say, I'll highlight, you know, the UK water utilities that are ahead of the game thinking about greenhouse gas emissions. They've set their own commitments. You have those set of probably more, you know, progressively thinking about greenhouse gas footprint utilities. I have been totally amazed at how many more utilities, particularly in small and medium utilities, that are saying, we're taking this really seriously. The upcoming Global Water Summit in Madrid is net zero water positive. It is the hot topic right now, or one of the hot topics in the water sector. I felt certain we were going to be able to speak to a certain number of utilities that were already thinking about this, but I was definitely taken aback by just how much pickup we had of smaller utilities that were saying, wow, this is something we really care about, and it's something we are setting goals towards and starting to address. We've talked so far from what happens between you and your handprint, so your footprint and then how it goes to your customers. If I'm right, you're looking also at the full value chain and the full value chain would mean also your suppliers. How do you bring the suppliers into that game mm -hmm. and how do you nudge them into having the right approach? In 2021, we announced our net zero commitment by 2050, science-based target by 2030. And we said that's across our entire value chain, including all scope three emissions, which includes, of course, our supply chain. Not that I want to, to cut you, but just to be clear, you have scope one, scope two, scope, scope three. Just read for, for the layman, scope one, <laughs> scope two, scope <laughs> footprint, and, and scope three is your handprint. But here I'm oversimplifying, I guess. No, that's perfect. So scope three, think upstream, downstream emissions, you know, supply chain in the upstream, downstream in the handprint of your product. Scope one and two are more operational. Forgive me, I get really into these weeds in my day-to-day -day role, so I can easily <laughs> jump into that. Thanks for the explanation. Uh, okay, I hope, uh, hopefully that helps. I go back even as early as 2019, we set out our 2025 goals. At that time, one of those goals was to require our suppliers to report through CDP. That's the Climate Disclosure Project. They're a rating company. We at Xylem report to CDP. And our investors and some of our customers use that data to make decisions. And so we said, you know, we want our suppliers to report to us. Part of that includes their scope one and two emissions, their operational core emissions footprint. We said, we want you to do this. We're going to work with you on it. But eventually we're going to make this, if you want to be a preferred supplier to Xylem, you know, top list of who we go to, we're going to want you to have this. And so we took the approach and we're still in that approach today of we're doing, we're your partner in this. We're not going to, you know, like you said, it's a balance of you're, you're not going to demand it, right? But we're going to ask you to do it and we're going to coach you. We give you resources. My team works with our supply chain team daily to help work with suppliers, get them there with this vision of in a few years, we really need to be doing this. And so for us, it really started with reporting, turn the lights on, let's see what our supply chain looks like with emissions profile. 
we're still, I would say, you know, still doing a lot of learning in that stage as we get more refined in what is our emissions profile and supply chain, and then working with them as they to set their own targets, set their own goals, and work with them as partners to reduce it. And I think, you know, even over the last year, I'd say that's another area I was probably pleasantly surprised in how responsive and receptive our supplier partners are because we're not the only customer of theirs asking for this information for one. And for many of our suppliers, they're starting to make their own commitments. So this is really important to us as well. We have our own sustainability programs. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions is good for us and it's good for our customers. But I guess that that, that cannot be a light on, light off option. Like you say, 2019, we start looking at it and 2020, if you don't comply, then find yourself uh, another supplier how, how does that work do, do you have like you, you give them like a timeline where you say you know we want to be all on the same boat and if we reach something by 2025 you'll have to reach it with us it's still an ongoing process we're still very much in that let's work together let's report your missions work together to set targets it's not it's like you said it's not an on-off switch there are also other things that we take into consideration like There are other sustainability programs and their water targets and the base minimum of ensuring that they're meeting requirements of human rights and other things. It's all of those things together make up the decision, but it's not a on-off switch at this point. I could foresee down in the future that becoming a, if you don't have a greenhouse gas target, we're going to need to go elsewhere, but we're not at that stage today. You mentioned your customers. Now we discuss your suppliers. You mentioned how you use CDP as an external body, which is assessing whatever you do. But CDP is not the only one ranking Xylem. There are several institutes, associations. There's a lot of, of those reports out there. And regularly, Xylem is ranked as a company doing good. How important is that for you? The ratings and awards environment for, I'd say, sustainability in general or you know, ESG, environment social governance rating is an enormous landscape that seems to be growing every day. <laughs> There are hundreds of ratings we could go for, hundreds of awards we could apply for, but we apply some pretty, we're actually quite rigorous on our approach to this. For one being, it could be easily become my full-time job to just fill out ratings. <laughs> it could, you know, they are not easy surveys. They're very in-depth and they take a lot of time. So we selected a small handful of ratings. CDP is one of them. We also utilize Sustainalytics and an organization called Ecovatus, a small handful of ratings that we said, these are our priority that we think do a robust and independent job in, in reviewing our sustainability performance across the full spectrum of sustainability. For us, sustainability is much bigger than greenhouse gas emissions. It includes water. It includes the way we treat our people, diverse representation. You know, it is the whole gamut. So we look for those ratings that take a very holistic approach, are independent, and that we really think have a robust assessment. Those are some of those organizations. And there's a lot of ratings that we say, we're just not going to do. We don't have the time. And then when it comes to like those awards and those great, which are fabulous, we love to hear Xylem, the top of environmental lists or other kind of sustainability performance lists. We, A, 
don't go for any awards that are pay to play, which are actually quite a few. <laughs> so we're, we're very specific on that. And, you know, for us, and we, we say this internally quite a bit, awards are wonderful. We love to receive awards. It's not why we do what we do. They are the benefit that comes from continuously executing and performing and improving the awards. They will come or go as they will, but we're going to continue to do our progress on sustainability no matter what. So you're not doing it for the awards. Why are you doing all of that? What is your primary driver? Well, I'd say primary is what is this world going to look like in five or six generations from now? <laughs> are we good? Is Xylem even going to be able to exist in five or six generations? And our view is yes, if. We take care of the planet, we take care of the people in Xylem and around Xylem, and we take care of the communities in which we operate in. And that gives us the license to operate. It also creates a company that will withstand all of the challenges yet to come ahead of us. And so for us, I mean, that's the core is, do we want to, what kind of world do we want to leave for future generations? And then the second reason is <laughs> we're a water company. And if any sector is the sustainability sector, it's water. We, what water sector does day in and day out is sustainability. We're protecting the environment by treating wastewater. We're ensuring people have access to clean and reliable drinking water. Wash their hands during the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, the simple things that the water sector does every single day is sustainability. And so if anybody's going to do it, Well, it damn sure better be us. I think that's something which is pretty strong in all the papers I've read from Xylem preparing for that conversation, which is your belief that the water sector is going to move faster, is going to lead the way, is going to be an example. And I'd love to share your optimism, but the water sector has also a history of being a laggard by, by many aspects. So what makes you so optimistic in that specific endeavor? The water sector is fairly risk adverse for very good reason. In my career so far, I think the people that I have met around the sector, whether it's at Xylem, but outside of Xylem, podcasts like this, utility leaders, engineering consultants, you know, other equipment providers in the space, nearly everyone I've met has that sense of optimism and that sense of duty that we don't do this just because it's a nice job. <laughs> It pays the bills. People are in water because they want to make a difference. They're in water because they feel that deep sense of responsibility and passion to give back to the planet, to give back to the communities in which they live. And so nothing can beat that. If you have that people and that belief throughout the entire sector, no challenge is too great. And we have some pretty big challenges ahead of us. I have a problem because I'm very positive so far about everything you said, and I agree with you, but I have to be French and to take my devil's advocate hat. When I was looking at whatever you publish, there's a problem with pumpings and hopefully someone could come up with better pumps and, and solve it. And you happen to, to have pretty strong pump brands. There's a problem with water quality and it would be so great if someone could solve it with UV disinfection and you happen to have UV disinfection. I'm just wondering, do you find all the problems which you can solve and then highlight those? Or do you maybe just build the company cleverly so that you 
make it future ready in the sense that you align itself to the challenges of tomorrow. It's a curveball. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I love this. This is, you know, I think something I'm seeing, and it's not just at Xylem. I think this is something I see from a lot of different organizations in the water space. We are evolving right now from thinking about issues as they come and go, fix that pump problem, fix this treatment problem, you know, that those specific issues to really thinking about the entire water cycle as a system that needs to be managed as such, both in thinking about the, you know, the wastewater cycle all the way through to drinking water cycle and what that means for the watershed. That's a lot harder to do, <laughs> feels a lot more conceptual, but I think we have for the last century been very much, you know, piece by piece focused. And now we're reaching that point. That's great. We can build the best dang pump you've ever seen in your life or you'll ever see, you know, the, but if we just do that and we don't solve for all the other problems, who cares? It has to all be connected. For us at Xylem, we've been investing quite a bit into our digital portfolio to say, okay, how do we tie all these pieces together to say, you can operate your entire system and you can think about the entire system as a whole and really make those real-time nuanced decisions based on the full network, the full system as a whole. We no longer can think about, okay, pump station A is separate from pump station B, which is separate from this treatment plant. They all are interconnected and we have to think about operating those very much together. Maybe that was an okay answer to your curveball question. <laughs> It's a very good answer to my curveball. I have, if I zoom out a bit, you mentioned how education is important, how we need to convey the right messages so that all of that happens. And I would see two scenes where that shall transfer. I would say the general population, and we'll come back to that. And the other scene is maybe the, the political word, because you will need to have policies and regulations to enforce all of the right moves. How do you work on, on that part of the equation? How do you work with governments, agencies, and help them in tailoring the, the right policies and regulations? So I sit here in the United States, and every year, the American Society of Civil Engineers, ASCE, puts out a report grading the U.S. infrastructure. And every year, it seems like the grade goes down, and water infrastructure is one of them. And then on the flip side, you hear about, okay, it's going to take trillions of dollars of investment to get us back up to the quote-unquote A grade. And so asylum, I think there's two ways that we're engaging in particular that more policy focused audience and this applies to the us but also our approach around the world the first is okay we know we have a big infrastructure problem it's not a us problem this is you know everywhere in the world has some form of water infrastructure challenges we know we've got these challenges we know it's going to take a whole bunch of money to fix it but let's figure out how can we improve the infrastructure with a lot less money and much more efficiently. <laughs> so could we use what we got better, use the infrastructure we already have in place much more efficiently? Can we make small upgrades where before may have been massive CapEx investment and really educating the policymakers to say, okay, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You don't have to have really terrible infrastructure or you spend a whole bunch of money. There's an answer in between. And that means, you know, innovating and using better and better technology. That's 
the role Xylem plays is, is finding that middle ground. Would you have a, a very concrete example of, of rolling out such an approach? I sure do. One of the um, digital solution investments we made a few years ago was into wastewater network optimization. So you have a wastewater collection system, pipes, pumps that are transporting sewer to the wastewater treatment plant. In the U.S., I'll use this example, but this is a problem, again, a global issue of sometimes in, in some communities, a storm will come through, a bunch of rain, it overflows the system, and we call that combined sewer overflow, where sewage basically runs out. And typically that enters into rivers, streams, water bodies, where you now have polluted sewage running into water bodies. Mm -hmm. A, it's gross. It's not good for your public relations. And in some communities, our EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, actually comes in and says, all right, community, this has gotten so bad, you have to fix this. One of those communities was South Bend, Indiana, here in the U.S., and the EPA came and said, Your, this sewage overflow problem is so tremendous, you have to fix this right now. And so they did the, the typical design to do this is you build a massive underground storage tank, <laughs> and then when the storm event comes through, you fill that tank up, and then you run it down. And that's really expensive to build. They were estimating in the range of $800 to $900 million investment. But for a community where the median income is less than 30K US dollars a year, that kind of investment, just it just ain't happening. There's <laughs> no way you can make it happen. And so we were able to apply sensors throughout their sewer network, a digital machine learning system over that network that started to learn. When a storm, water, storm event comes through, Let's use the infrastructure we already have, make a few small upgrades, and you can move within that system in a much more efficient way. You know where your weak spots are, where you could potentially have overflows, and you're using that network much more efficiently. It saved the city hundreds of millions of dollars, which for a community like South Bend is massive. <laughs> it's not something that is, you know, we're waiting to be developed. This is technology that exists today that has affordability, benefits for those citizens who don't now have to pay a much bigger bigger cost to the infrastructure. It has environmental impacts. You don't have that sewage overflow issue anymore. And at the end of the day, it just makes sense for, for us to use what we have uh, versus some big CapEx project. So that was for the policy aspect of things. And now the other fact which I alluded to, which is reaching to to, to the wider I mean, the general population, the ones which are really not day in, day out into water. And there, I was so jealous because your ambassador is, is Manchester City and, and Pep Guardiola. I don't know how big it is in, in the US, but I can tell you that in Europe, if you come with Pep Guardiola, it's probably the <laughs> football manager everybody wants to listen to. And he's making a full video explaining why sustainability in, in water management is so important, why the carbon footprint of a system is so important. How does that move the needle? Can, can you measure that impact? That's pretty cool, isn't it? I, I think a critique I have, you know, if, for the water sector as a whole is we often end up talking to each other. We all know the water issues and intimately and we kind of end up talking to each other about them. We have to, if we want to solve both the policy changes we need, if we want to think about just the general awareness of water challenges, we have to engage the rest of the population. 
and we have to educate and bring them into the conversation. If we don't, shame on us. We were able to find, I mean, just such a cool opportunity to engage something everyone in the world knows sports. Every culture has some form of sport. And the most common one is soccer, or as you say, football. <laughs> Come on. And so what a fabulous partnership for an organization like Manchester City that not only has, of course, their Man City team, but they have clubs all over the world, um, including here, you know, we have New York City Football Club as part of their organization, as well as many others. And bring the the passion and creativity and you know all of that that comes with sports put that into water and we have found both you know just the awareness impact the the eyeballs we're able to reach through manchester city massive compared to anything xylem could do on their own but even the engagement right now we're just coming out with just their ending a campaign of uh, walk for water and we had a plogging with pep campaign with pep Guerrero, as you said <laughs> and we ran this on strava and in the first few weeks over a hundred thousand people got onto strava and said i'm going to participate in this i'm going to go plogging which plogging is essentially a swedish term for going on a jog and picking up trash mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so I'm going to take, do this in to address water issues in my community where I live and work. And that is huge. That's when you get, you know, an everyday person who really just likes football to get off the couch and go make a difference in their own community related to water issues. That's when we really start to make changes. So it's been a really cool campaign and partnership so far. And I think we're just getting started. You've mentioned how you can transfer this creativity and impact from sports into the world of water. You've opened with the fact that your employer is a bit different because you're a vice president, which is working full remote. There's the last element, which I'd like to bring here about this this impact of and this now back to the footprint of Xylem, which is your watermark program, and and the engagement and the impressive engagement you have within your team. So can you tell us maybe what watermark is, and and how your people act within watermark? Watermark is probably my favorite part of my entire job, and I think I have a pretty cool job. <laughs> We have so watermark was founded you know since the beginning of Xylem and. It's our corporate social responsibility program. Through that, we have philanthropic partners. We have six NGO partners, include organizations like UNICEF, AmeriCares, Mercy Corps, Planet Water, a few others that we, you know, not only provide philanthropic donations to, we also partner with our employees. And that's often activities reaching those in the most underserved um, communities of the world, providing access to clean water and sanitation, particularly. We also have our employee volunteerism as part of that. And last year, we reached nearly 80% of Xylem employees went out into their communities and volunteered. And we think about that. We have nearly 17,000 employees around the world. And that was everybody from our CEO, Patrick Decker, to an assembler on the factory line, and everyone in between. <laughs> was going out and volunteering. And that's pretty powerful. And those volunteer activities include everything from going out and simply going out, picking up trash, something easy like that, going into schools, uh, speaking to students, building water towers in communities that need access to clean water. All of those things contributed. 
And it all, again, it goes back to something that I think is so unique to the water sector. People don't come to water. They don't come to Xylem just because it's a great job, or maybe they do. But the reason they stay is because they get really passionate about making a difference and belonging to a company that cares about their community and cares about making a difference. That's not just Xylem, but it sure is something that we pride ourselves on. And from all these various aspects we've covered in that deep dive, do you have like a, a North Star metric, which you will be looking at in 2025 or 2030, and which will tell you, we did it, or <laughs> even did something greater than we expected. But what is that single one if you to, to keep only one? Well, we do have our 2025 sustainability goals that are my guiding light. And I think one of them, one of the many that are so equally important is to provide clean water and sanitation to 20 million people living in what we would call the base of the economic pyramid, those most traditionally underserved communities. And if we can reach that goal by 2025, and I think we will with our partners, nonprofits and others, that's a pretty big impact, but it's also just a drop in the bucket. And so while that's one of many measures that I and my team are held accountable to, delivering on. There's also, you know, getting to 95% of employees volunteering. We're at 80. We got to get to 95. Sustainability is not something that you get to the end of the road and say, we did it or we've accomplished it. It really is a journey. And it, we get to 2025 and let's say we get there, we accomplish that goal. Well, we'll have another goal in place for 2030 <laughs> and for 2035. And this will continue on because we will always have ways to improve both for ourselves and then for the communities we live in. Well, that makes for an awesome conclusion for the deep dive. So, so thanks <laughs> a lot. If that's fine with you, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I tried to keep the questions short and your duty is to keep the answers short, but I'm never cutting the microphone. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Oh, it's so hard because there's so many good things. <laughs> I am very excited and about our role in the water's race to zero and moving the entire water sector to net zero greenhouse gas emissions. Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> I think trust the people around you. If you have really good people around you, trust them to do a really good job and they will. Is there something you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? I hope we find a more efficient way to do emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, whether this is the role of sustainability, I would love to get to a point where my this role is obsolete because it's just so integrated in everybody's day job that you shouldn't need somebody in that role. I don't know if that will come to fruition, but I'd love for my job to go away. Don't tell my boss that, but I'll. <laughs> I get the feeling, you know, in France, we just had political elections and and it was a bit the, the message that the, uh, the, the green and the ecological people were saying, 
it would be good that we disappear, that everybody just embodies that in their program. But not that they want to talk politics on the microphone, but it's, it sounds like something which, which is the same approach of it, it shall just become a best practice. And exactly. I close my own sidetrack. Sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> what is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? I think talent. This is not new news, but it's an aging workforce. And in a lot of geographies, it's not necessarily represents the diverse communities in which water serves, which is everyone. Uh, and I think getting a diverse set of talent is going to be really important for us. I, I keep mentioning that stupid statistics, but we have 83% of men in that industry. And I'm pretty sure we would have a problem on that planet if we were really 83% of men. So just that is not very representative. But again, I'm not reset tracking you here. It's just, I think, this kind of thing where we shall have an awareness on that. Um, if you were a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? This is going to probably sound like a little bit of a cop-out, but every single student in the entire world needs to know about water challenges and needs to be educated on them. If you start there, you educate people. When you know better, you do better. And oftentimes water is one of the last things, you know, that we really think about in all the ways it impacts our economy, it impacts our health. We need, you know, even more education and access to education on water. There's a whole other list of things I would do, but maybe that's where I would start. <laughs> and so maybe to, to, to help educate people, I need more very cool guests like you on that microphone. So who would you recommend me to, to invite next? Oh, there's so many. That's one great thing about water is we are no shortage for very cool people. Someone I've really learned to look up to over the last year, particularly in this race to zero, is Kate Lamb with CDP. And she leads their water work. And she is fabulous, articulate, and most importantly, just down to earth and easy to talk to. Well, thanks for the recommendation. Two last closing questions. One is we're recording all of that 10 days before the award ceremony at the Global Water Summit. Do you have a hint? Are you winning that award? <laughs> My fingers are crossed, but we're just really happy to be on the list. It means we're doing something right. And we're just really happy that there is the award because it means the sector is really paying attention to this. And my last question here is, if anybody would like to follow up with you after that, that conversation, where shall I redirect them the best? They can email me. It's austin.alexander at xylem.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter, so feel free to find me on there as well. As always, the, the links will be in the show notes, so have a look there. And yeah, Austin, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. And talk to you very soon in Madrid. At the time where that episode comes out, we will be together on a scene in, in Madrid. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having that panel conversation with you there as well. And um, thanks a lot for everything you shared today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Xylem and, and all of the wonderful topics you're able to hit on today. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.